Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Tracy, Jimmy, Steve back on TC Live, taking a look at the roller coaster the past two years have been for Dominic Team. Won the U.S. Open in 2020, got to a career-high three in the world. The injuries would come, missed eight months with that wrist injury. The ranking dropped to around 400. He lost 10 matches in a row, and now he is back to his winning ways. Entering today, three straight quarterfinals, seven of his last nine matches, he came out victorious. Team actually on a six-match win streak in Kitzbühel, 12-1 and in sets, dating back to his title in 2019, Jimmy. But Yannick Hoffman, the former USC Trojan, made the final here in 2020, loves this event. He loves this event, and he has the style of play that Dominic Team doesn't like. He served and volleyed an awful lot with a kick serve, and as we know, Team stands so far back, you've got time to get in tight. His two-handed backhand, Hoffman, was deadly throughout the match, always looking to come forward. And again, Dominic Team likes to dominate in baseline rallies and eventually rip a winner after he's worked the point, and Hoffman wasn't having any of it. These two fought through these first couple of sets. Third set is when the action really started, and Team saves break point, ends up a rain delay when he's going out to serve at 4-5 in the third when they come back. He makes first serves. He didn't play badly, but Hoffman played remarkable stuff. And it's so hard after coming off a rain delay, knowing I'm, whenever we start again, I have to hold or I lose the match. And the team did not hold, and he lost the match. <laughs> Yannick Hoffman, 12-4 and at this event since his debut in 2017. Dominic Team still a quarterfinal effort there, but cannot move on to the Final Four. How about Roberto Bautista Agut? Taking on 20-year-old Yuri Lehechka. This was a battle. Started out well for the next-gen star, Trace. Yeah, Lehechka just won his first challenger a few weeks back, and he's really showing an all-court game. Serve volley, but clutch tennis from Batista Agut when Lehechka was serving for it. Up a set and a break there. And you know, Batista Agut's never going to give you the match. You're going to have to work extremely hard for it. So good with the cross courts. He can last in that pattern all day long. And then he gets to a third set. And that's when Batista Agut's experience really came into play. He's got great movement. He's got the backhand slice when he needs to. Just get the point started. And then get to work with his deep ground strokes. Excellent win coming from behind. RBA picking up another W. Great showing, though, for the 20-year-old Lehechka. We will certainly see more from that check going forward as we take a look at the draw in Kitzbühel as we are down to three of the four semifinalists. Yannick Hoffman still awaiting his opponent, postponed due to rain until Friday, and then Albert Ramos Vignolas taking on Roberto Bautista Agut. A couple of three-named Spaniards battling in the semifinals there. Uh, Tracy, I want to get your thoughts on Dominic Team. What's your takeaway from him after this event, seeing what he was able to do over the past few weeks? Yeah, we've seen good improvement, getting to at least the quarters for the last three events after starting kind of in a disastrous way by his standards. Uh, so much can happen when you have 
a tear in your wrist. You have to have surgery. You're out for nine months. It's a slow comeback because he really has to have a lot of racket head speed, a lot of whip on mm-hmm. his shots forehand and backhand. That's a lot of demand. We saw when he first came back, his forehand was a little mushy. I mean, it just wasn't that acceleration and that trust in the wrist. We're finally starting to see some firepower, and that's what we expect from him. Always in great shape, just needs some more matches, and I think he's going to get there. How, how improved is his speed right now on, the, on those ground strokes? Because when he was winning the U.S. Open, he hit the ball harder than anyone else on tour. He hit the ball huge. The one thing for a team that you have to remember is, and maybe that led to the wrist hair, mm. he played more matches than everybody year after year. He, he probably didn't practice. He just played tournaments every week and won matches every week. And he's got to find that sort of feel again. He had, after he came back from the injury, he almost looked like he didn't enjoy playing tennis any longer for a while. Well, you he, don't when you lose. Yes. And no, that but, was tough. But and he even, couldn't play could, the way he wanted yeah, to. It was all ugly, and it's now starting to look like team. It's probably not quite to what it was. We'll see if his game can continue winning because one thing is players see all of a sudden, Maxine Cressy, we have every highlight people are coming in. We're seeing serving volley, sinner, never been at the net in his life, serving volley 50 times yesterday. Something's going on where players are deciding they're going to come to net more, and that's not good for team. Team wants you to stay back where he can control things with those big ground strokes. One thing we love to see is that one-handed backhand from Dominic Team. It is a quick mid-show trivia that we've got for both of you, Tracy and Jimmy. How many one-handed backhands currently in the men's top 50, do you think? In the top 50, I'm going with... Five or six. Jimmy? Well, she goes with five, I go with six. Tracy is correct! Yes! Five (laughs) one-handers in the top 50. Amazing! The annoying thing is she already looked it up before we did She didn't. She had no idea. What are you talking about? I was calling matches. Had no idea, Jimmy. She's just, that's in the Hall of Fame. I forgot about Daniel Daniel Evans. Evans. (laughs) Daniel. (laughs) We call him Dan. It's okay. Musetti, Evans, Shapovalov, Dimitrov, Sitsipa. And by the way, because when you think about it, you think Federer, right? You think Vavrinka, you oh, think Team. Right. None of those guys in the top 50. That's right. None of those guys in the top 100 anymore either. So you know, I'm bringing up a name of Gasquet. He's somewhere close. He's fallen down as well. Obviously. He's not on that, <laughs> He's not on that board. We just showed you. So we've, we've got five guys in the top 50. <laughs> I'm going to have both of you give me your top three one-handers on the men's side. Not including Roger Federer, because he hasn't played in a while. I was so indecisive about this. I've changed this about 72 times. Okay. I'm going with Vavrinka, and I know he's not in the top 100, but when you win three majors, and mostly because of your backhand, I think he has the best one-handed backhand down the line ever in the history of the game. I'm going with him. I'm going with Dominic Team when he's at his best, not at the moment, but he's getting there. He can hit that ball on the rise. He's like a bull. He can hit the ball uh, with a slice, he can mix it up, variation. And then I'm going with Musetti, the young gun. I think he's about 20 years old, and he can hit the cover off the ball. Honorable mention, Dimitrov, I like his slice. Uh, he can mix it up. All right, one, two, three. Starting with Stan. Jimmy, what do you have? Um, I wanted to mention Dimitrov because I love the way he finishes. His, his arms almost touch in the back as he follows through. I went with Stan as well because oh. of the three majors and the fact that he absolutely crushes the backhand with incredible pace. When he's on, he's the one guy I've ever seen that can overpower Novak Djokovic in baseline rallies with forehand, backhand. Djokovic has nothing that he can do when Stan was on in those, in those finals. Dominic Team again. Huge backhand from anywhere. He say he's too. We agree with that. I know. I don't like it. I don't like agreeing (laughs) with Tracy. But in this case, you were, you know, obviously you were right. Um, And then 
Richard Gasquet, which I almost feel as though I should put him at one because his return, those two guys, both Stan and team, get behind in the points with their return to serve. Mm. They chip. Gasquet's is a little bit better. He's not as behind in points off his backhand return, which is why we're going back. We can't say Federer. I actually like Federer's the best because he's the one returner with one hand that stays at least neutral. I mean, it's, it's incredible in a lot of ways. It, with a one-hander, that's the biggest weakness, return to serve. Once the point's in play, you can open up the court, you can slice, you have more variety. It's that one shot, and it happens to be a very important shot these the days. The one person we didn't mention is Sitsipas, and he's the highest right. ranked with the one-hander. But I, you really saw, particularly on grass, how much he had trouble with the return. He just chipped that return, and then he relied on his defense until he could get a forehand. So I think that backhand could still become more offensive. So we got five men in the top 50 with one-handed backhands. How many women in the top 100, Jimmy, have one-handed backhands? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Or Tra- Tracy got was spot on with I five. I have no idea. I'm going with four, three. I was going to say three. Okay. I'll give you a hint. Three. Tracy, three. right again, and so were you, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> three oh, of them. We've got Diane Perry, Victoria Goljevich, and Tatiana Maria. So uh, three women. The semis at Wimbledon. Yes, with that one-handed backhand. And uh, let, let's open this up on the women's side because there have been some spectacular one-handers on the women's side. To me, I mean, the, the, the slice from Steffi Groff, obviously Justine Ennen, maybe the, the best of all time. What do you think? I think Justine Ennen. Uh, Steffi's slice was amazing. She never missed it, but you didn't feel a threat from that side. If you could get to the backhand, you knew you were safe for at least one point, one shot. Justine Ennen, I mean, five foot six and great technique, incredible timing, so much power from a, a, a little pint. Uh, so without a doubt. And the slice, she knifed that ball as well. Amelie Moresmo, I think. Maybe mm. honorable mention. Sure, yeah, yeah. Justine Ennen, I might have put her at number one on the... On the overall. On the overall. Because yeah, she go for could it. take the backhand so early. She timed it so well, ripped. I remember watching her. I was with Monica Salas coaching her a little bit, and I was surprised how she was handling Monica's pace with ease. No problem, just redirecting it. Whatever she wanted with that one hand, it was amazing. You put above Federer? No, probably Federer first. Okay. <laughs> Federer and Yeah. Okay. Somewhere. Yeah, that. that's, that's high praise. I, you know, you, you've raised three boys. Uh, they all have, I believe, two-handed, two-handed backhands. backhands. So what, what are the advantages of a one-hander versus a two-hander? Isn't that interesting? Because Pete Sampras started out his career as a two-hander, and then his coach, Pete Fisher, decided when Pete was about 12 or 13 that he wanted to switch him to one hand because he felt if Pete Sampras wants to win Wimbledon, he needs that backhand slice and the backhand volley, he thought the three were connected. I don't think that's right. I think the best would be to have a two-handed backhand because you can control the return. That offhand really helps you to stabilize the racket. Some of these one-handers have trouble on the return being offensive and then be able to go to the slice with the one-handed backhand. I think that would be the best combination. Pete Sampras would have won 23 majors had he had a two-hander because really? what yeah. I heard his, his two-hander, two-hander was amazing. amazing that's I didn't see it obviously by the time I saw him he was a one-hander but his two-hander was apparently amazing it was a weakness 
when he played his one-hander. That was the one side you could kind of get to a little bit. And I agree with Tracy. I don't understand why you can't slice and you hit two-hand and then you do this. You and then just you practice that. It just it didn't seem it – se- the game, the way the game went, okay, the, the ball started getting higher and heavier. And that was when it got worse for one-handers. Mm. So back in the day in the 60s and 70s and things were grass and slice, ball was low, that's not great for a two-hander. But as the game evolved and people started hitting more topspin in the strings – the one I, look, I love to say when I'm practicing now, I don't practice much, but when I'm at IMG and I play with someone, they hit a kick serve and I shank it eight feet. You're a one-hander, yeah. To my one-hander, and I, I go, that shot cost me $10 million. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, that because was, you need that left hand I, to yes, stabilize. Yes, to help you on those high-bouncing, kicky serves. So it's difficult. What's happened in the game, the, the way the one-handers have gotten away with it now is they can go back to the fence and nobody serves in volleys. Mm. When I played... If I went back to the fence, Stefan Edberg would have had time to get a cheeseburger, get on top of the net by the time he, he got in so tight to the net. I couldn't have hit a ball past him from there. That's why I think some of these players definitely should serve in volley. The kick serve to Vavrinka, to Sitsipas, to some of these one-handers. I mean, it doesn't matter how far back they are. It's going to be difficult, particularly when they're that far back, to hit a perfect shot dipping. I think the once in a while the serve volley would be so perfect and so effective that, that's so smart 14 to 23 majors for pete if he had stuck with the two-hander I, also his, uh, by the way pete grew up at the same club so without a doubt his two-hander was nails it was big and think about the year that he lost pete had to step back and learn a one-hander he was losing to people that he wasn't used to i mean it's hard to criticize pete sampras obviously <laughs> but he was losing to people that he wasn't used to losing to and it just didn't have the same power and the same penetration as the two-hander would so how, how would you break down the practice? If, go two-hander, but how often do you need to practice that slice and, and per day? Yeah, without a doubt, I think there are too many juniors that don't have a proficient slice. I remember when Sloan Stevens, she hurt her wrist and she couldn't hit the two-hander, so only could hit the slice. That was actually a benefit for a month or two to develop that slice for variation. It's so important. I also think juniors just don't work on their volleys enough. All the secondary, not that a volley is a secondary shot, but so much is just forehand, backhand, that's it. You've mm. got to work on the different shots. I'm actually looking for the player that will be two-handed return, one-handed once the ball's in play. I think that's the next wow. evolution. I, well, Ash Barty had that killer slice yes. to go with the two-hander. Slice, I think it's easier to hit an angle. It's easier to do something. Austin Arias Weissman back with you on TC Live. Half hour away from live tennis in Atlanta, but first... Prague earlier today, world number two, Annette Contivate in action against the French Open junior champ, 17-year-old Lucy Havlikova. Havlikova, the wild card, and even though she did not get that first set, she showed a lot of poise, very close in this second set. She's got a tremendous game, a lot of power, but Contivate just too good. She's got Contivate has been returning extremely well, particularly this week. She's been serving well. She can really hit with such accuracy and got through in straight sets, but still a terrific experience for Havlikova. Yeah, picked up her first WTA tour-level victory this week in Prague. Contivate going to take on Anastasia Potapova next. How about the defending champ, Barbora Krejcikova? Had a chance to serve out the match in the second. We will get to that, Jimmy. Uh, utter disaster ensued, but she did take the first set. 
She did too. well. If she's going to serve for the match in the second set, that does mean she won the first set. And here it is. It's 6-3, 5-3, and 15 love up. But one thing that was happening throughout the match was Krajikova's forehand was wavering. It was tough for her to find the court. And I think now Habino, a lucky loser, feeling very lucky, just realized at a certain point late in the second set, let me just put the ball in play. I don't need to try to do much. I'm just going to let my opponent self-destruct. And Krajikova's had a difficult year, had some injuries, ranking has dropped, and obviously this doesn't help as she is defending champion here, and she is defending champion no longer after the match ends fittingly with another unforced error. Not now, but right now. Habino, how about that? The lucky loser, third career top 20 win. Now 2-0 in her career against Krejcikova. Taking a look at the draw that we have for you in Prague as the top seed. Annette Kontaveit gets Podopova next. Magda Lynette moving on to the quarterfinals. Boskova. So an interesting final eight that we have in Prague. Cincinnati is on the way, one of the big events leading up to the U.S. Open. And here's what's trending on social media. Our John Wertheim saying some of the folks who are getting wild cards into Cincinnati. They include Venus Williams, Sophia Kennan, and Sloane Stephens, Tracy. I love it. It's great to see Venus Williams back. She hasn't played in almost a year. Uh, she played at Wimbledon in mixed doubles, but at 42 years old, good on you, Venus. Let's go. We so enjoy watching you play. For Sophia Kennan, she didn't look great in the exhibition the other night, but hopefully she can turn that around. We always love to see Sloan play. I agree with everything Tracy just said. Venus, obviously great to see her. I'm worried about Kennan, the way she looked, but she's going to need a few matches. She's only played an exhibition. That's not the end of the world. We'll talk about Ben Shelton later today, the NCAA champion. NCAA champion on the women's side. Peyton Stearns, Ohio native, also getting a wild card into Cincinnati. She has turned pro. Looking forward to seeing her in action as well. It is time for a little doppelganger action. One of our fans on Twitter uh, saying that Quentin Tarantino is the love child <laughs> of Roger Federer and Daniil Medvedev. Jimmy, what do you think about this? I mean, I think it's kind of spot on. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> got the forehead. Medvedev's forehead is there. And then, the, you know, the bottom half is pretty sick. Yeah, it's that, better. That, that, you got it. Wow. Top half, bottom half. That, that's good. So that got us to thinking. Uh, who else could have a doppelganger of celebrities? How about our own Jimmy Arias? Oh, jeez. <laughs> We've got the actor, William H. Macy, Oscar-nominated. And then we've got... Hey, if I'm Mark got, Wahlberg, if I'm Marky Wal Mark. If I've got a little Wahlberg, I'll take that for sure. Right? I'm going with Wahlberg. Yeah, I like I'm going that. more Wahlberg, hopefully, but you're, I see the resemblance there on the other side as well. What can you do? William H. Macy face, Mark Wahlberg's abs. Hey, right? Not no. I think the face is Wahlberg. We're going with that, Jimbo. Thank you, Tracy. Uh, moving on, we've got uh, these Tracy? two. Where's Tracy? No, it's just Jimmy. Okay. Uh, this, this, this is Rafa with a young Carlitos Alcaraz. Remember this? That is awesome. Now wow. they're both in the top five. Wow. That's incredible. I love photos like that. But you wonder, that moment right there, how inspiring that was to Carlitos to be around Rafa. Those moments are really special. Rafa always gave time to youngsters, no question about it. He And that's just another great picture. And Alcaraz will always remember that moment. And now he's going to beat him. Yeah, he's starting to beat him. Rafa looks the same. Carlitos has grown a little a bit. Little His muscles yeah. are a little bigger, right? <laughs> Carlos looks different than last year. He was a boy last year, yeah. 18. And this year he's filled out.
It certainly has. And uh, that got us to Rafa playing uh, some practice with his cousin, Uncle Tony Nadal's son, Joan Nadal, in, uh, in the far court. And this is an 18-year-old is starting to wow. play some ITF junior level events right now. What do we think of him? Wow, that's incredible. There's going to be another Nadal. And Uncle Tony, remember, he stepped off the tour for a bit to stay home for a while. Maybe this was the reason to train another Nadal champion. If you've ever seen Rafa Nadal practice, he hits the ball 7 billion miles an hour in practice. <laughs> so if this cousin can even return one of those, he's a pretty good player because yep. it's, it's ridiculous watching Rafa practice. He doesn't hit that many in but he hits it huge. He hits a lot in. And Not I, in practice. If you've seen him in I practice, have. I've seen it Wimbledon on that, that final Sunday. He rips it, but he hits plenty in. But if he can, Joan, is that his name? Yeah. Joan, if he can track all these balls down, he's a great mover. And how about that practice partner? I mean, that'd be, that would be, that improve. We're talking about the cousin, but I... I'm, I see Rafa, and I'm older. I don't see the other guy. I just see the ball coming back. <laughs> and the ball is coming back. As far as I know, he's the, the greatest balls. player ever, but I have no idea. I'm looking where the ball is landing. It's landing nice and <laughs> That's deep. That's true. See? Right Uncle Tony said he was too hard on Rafa when he was young growing up. So, that, you know, now, now he's coaching, coaching his son, that's, Rafa's cousin. That's tough to coach your son. We'll see how that works out. Love to see another Nadal on court. Uh, a lot more to get to on TC Live leading up to the top of the hour. Action from the Atlanta Open. But first, which one of these was better? Greatest hot shots of the season thus far? We're back to Tracy and Jimmy disagreeing. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Steve, Tracy, Jimmy, back with you. Hot shot of the day, Carlos Alcaraz. We were just talking about him as a youngster. He is all grown up, Jimmy. Manchild. He is. He's got tremendous power, but as he showed you in this point, tremendous wheels. That was hot shots of the day. I mean, that one, and then the sprint forward, that was pretty good. And then I guess this one was reasonably straightforward. To hit about three or four winners to get the point. Yes. I mean, hot shot of the day every day for Alcaraz, you you would think, with some That's of the shots talent. he's been coming up with lately. Kid is next level. A reminder, next week, Tennis Channel Summer in the Cities brings you three big North American hardcore events. We are leading up to the U.S. Open. Catch the combined City Open in our nation's capital, the WTA in San Jose. More ATP action in Los Cabos, Mexico. Live center court coverage begins next Monday, noon Eastern, as our coverage. Of course, summer in the cities. We've got Montreal for the men, Toronto for the women starting August 8th. Tracy will be in Canada. Jimmy will be in Canada. Do you all work together on that, or you're in separate cities? We're in separate cities. Separate cities. Okay. We're and we about say 13. hi for about 15 seconds, and then we're both working the rest of the day. 13 hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> That's the toughest, <laughs> toughest tournament of the year for both of us. Uh, then Cincy, got to love that one, leading up to uh, Winston-Salem. Tennis in the land. 
Shout out to Sam Duvall. Uh, Granby as well. And then Tennis Channel Live at the U.S. Open begins August 28th. Just past the halfway mark of the season, let's look at some candidates for hot shot of the year. We begin J.J. Wolf, the man, the myth, the mullet. And this was in Miami, taking on Stefano Tsitsipas. That was a left-handed winner. He tries this shot quite often, by the way. As you see, he went to the left hand early. As he knows he's got a choked pretty good lefty. He choked up, but he's, he knows he's got that lefty for an in him. I think I'm missing the mullet. If he had that shot plus the mullet, <laughs> he still has the short shorts, then maybe it would be the hot shot of the that year. That is amazing control with the left hand, though. Yeah, it is. That's wild. Uh, and then we go to the Australian Open, Tracy. Pablo Carina Busta, never seen anything like this. Take us through it. So, off the top of the frame from Greekspor, and Karina Busta is able to go on the other side of the net and hit the ball straight down. Watch this ball. He tracks it, and because he's around the net post, he can hit it right in the court. I've never seen that in my life, because you know you can't touch the net, but he went around the net, so I guess that's legal. He can go around that. It's the only way he could get to that shot. To go I didn't around know you the could net. Go around the net. I, I knew you could reach over the net. I didn't know you could run on the other side. You can't even go check a mark on the other you side. Can't. Everyone starts yelling at you. So why? I mean, how was he able? Remember, Hinkis did that at the French. She checked the mark and she got in trouble against Carl. The, the one that was amazing to me was U.S. Open. Jimmy Connors, Corrado Berazzuti yes. ran on the other side of the net and erased the mark Incredible. when when the U.S. Open was on clay and somehow got away with that one. But that's 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 a no-no. Uh, which, which do you think is better? The second PCB, one. PCB, yeah. The second one. Because he the second had second one you'll never see again, ever. That never doesn't happen never. because usually when the opponent hits the top of the net, you're just trying to navigate not touching the net with your shoe or touching the net with your body or your racket. But to be able to go around the outside, I've never seen that. Also to know that that's possible, right? Most people, you stop at the net be like, oh, I guess I lost the point. He's like, no, I'm, I'm going to get this ball, hit it back in the court. I don't know if he didn't know whether it was possible or not. He's just like, I'm going to do this and then... And then see, see what the rules are. Yeah, exactly. Ask they, questions later. See if they talk me the point yeah, later. Exactly. That was wild. That was wild. And I think you'll see J.J. Wolf do the lefty thing every year because he every goes year. to that shot often. Cheryl wow. Pover used to do that. She did. Choke up on the racket as she well? She did. She'd hit lefty if she got in trouble and couldn't keep two hands on the racket. Right. Love it. We're, we're only in July. More to come in terms of hot shots of the year. Uh, we are leading up to the walkouts in Atlanta. We've got Alex Demonor in action taking on James Duckworth. This was earlier this year. Ben Shelton won the NCAA individual singles title, the fourth Florida Gator to do so. Three-set win over August Holmgren of San Diego. This after Ben had clinched the team title for Florida the year before, all playing for his dad, Brian Shelton. This win got him a wild card into the U.S. Open. But first, also gets a wild card into Atlanta, where he plays John Isner tonight. Speaking of former NCAA individual champions in this action today, it's the UCLA star, Mackie McDonald, taking on the six-seed Tracy. Jensen Brooksby, who went to Baylor, didn't actually get to play for them, but still likes the Bears. Yeah, absolutely. And this was a match that we thought would be quite lengthy because neither player usually makes too many mistakes. But today, Mackie McDonald had some lapses in concentration and was making routine errors from rally ball positions and Jensen Brooksby 
He was so spot on, serving well, and actually about 40% of his first serves were not returned by McDonald. This was an incredible point here. Jensen Brooksby is so long, about six foot four, and he covers the ball really well. This is a break point opportunity for Brooksby, and that really was what broke the spirit of McDonald. He never was able to get back on track, and it was one-way traffic. Brooksby looked really sharp. Took the took the wrapping off of his leg in the middle of the second set. Well, we flash back to Tuesday. Andres Martin, Georgia Tech player, getting the wild card here. Beats Tanasi Kokonakis. First ATP Tour main draw win in his debut. What a moment for the Yellow Jacket. So he beats Kokonakis, and uh, then had an interesting question for him after this match. Who would you love to play in this tournament this week? Nick Kyrgios. Let's go. All right. The GOAT. Congratulations once again. Nicely done. Dre said, by the way, he grew up like five minutes from where this tournament is being held. Jimmy, he called Kyrgios the GOAT. We can dissect that later. But first, he's playing Adrian Manorino because Kyrgios pulled out of the singles part of this event. He's playing the second GOAT, Adrian Manorino. And the French GOAT? Yeah, the French GOAT. And Martin actually was up a break early. And I tell you, I had fun watching. I called that Kokonakis match that he played in the first round. And it was fun to watch a guy who never played a tour event. He hadn't even played challengers. He just played futures and college stuff. And he came out, and once he started winning, he had this swagger to him when the way he was walking was awesome. He had a lot of fun. This match was fun at the beginning, but eventually it became less fun. It was Adrian Manorino. The veteran was able to get past the youngster in straights. Taking a look at the draw, of course, we've got a couple spots still available for tonight's night session. Alex Dimonor, James Duckworth will play Manorino in the quarterfinals, and then either Isner or Shelton will play Jensen Brooksby. You got Francis Tiafo taking on another former college tennis star, and Brandon Nakashima start at UVA, and Ilya Ivashka took out former UC, USC player Stevie Johnson will play Tommy Paul. So you look at that draw, Tracy, you're just like, more than half. Played college tennis. That's pretty cool. College tennis and a lot of Americans, four already in, and then they're going to have another one tonight. But what that says is that you can play college tennis and still have a successful ATP WTA career. About a decade or two ago, there was this this taboo to go to college because you thought, oh, you weren't good enough to play on the tour. You had to be 18 to start playing on the tour in order to be a success not so much. Remember, we've had Kevin Anderson who got to the top 10 and Isner, Cam Norrie also briefly into the top 10. Those guys have had tremendous success. They need a little bit more time for their games to mature, maybe personally get stronger, personally mature. I think it works. And I also think you can get lost if you go from the junior straight to the pros because you're, you, if you're that good, you've won an awful lot in the juniors and then you go to the pros and all of a sudden you start losing and you start losing and you start losing and I've seen so many players they disappear you don't know what happened to them that college is a little bit of a bridge where you can continue having some success and I think college tennis is more pressure than anywhere else if you are playing the seventh match at three all and both teams are lined up that player I coached one year at USF it was the most fun I ever had and I had kids Crying that I would try, I'm trying to stop them from hyperventilating on changeovers when they were the seventh match. And if you get through that, you are going to 
be able to play on the tour because the games are pretty similar. Yeah, and that's so much pressure because tennis is an individual sport. You're playing for yourself, maybe for your family, but now you're playing for those guys that are all standing about 20 feet away, going crazy. You're playing for them. You're playing for your school, and it's no ad. So no, so many no ad points. The pressure moments come very quickly. So you can mature in, in very quick fashion. And we've seen some players like Brandon Nakashima, Jensen Brooks, be one year in college, right? Uh, ben Shelton, it, it might just be two. Mm. And then he goes, Stevie Johnson went all four years, greatest collegiate tennis player in the history uh, of the sport. So that those questions come up as well in terms of how long you stay in college before making that leap. Brandon Holt. Yeah. Tracy's son. Get John McEnroe. That. Yeah. He was one year, but Brandon he, went how many? Four. He went four. Okay. I was happy that he got his degree, and now okay. he's playing on, on the tour. Um, so I think it's different for everyone. You know, John McEnroe got to the semifinals of Wimbledon and then still went back and played one year at Stanford. He just, I think, needed it personally. He needed to kind of slow things down, kind of reorganize, and then go out there and play. A lot of kids will do it because they're not quite sure where they're at. Some colleges also, most of them, if you play one year for them, then you can always go back and get your degree for free. That is a big deal. That is. That's huge. And they let you play the pros now. They let you play some futures in the fall, and then the spring you got to play for the school. So it's, it's a nice bridge to get to the pro tour. It's, Last thing I want to say yeah. is that a lot of players, what they'll do is they'll play in the spring, which, of course, starts in January. So they'll play in the fall. They'll play the futures, maybe the challengers. And that gives them some pro tennis, and then they get stuck into it, and they get to play the NCAAs. For an American, you want to play college tennis. That's also a bridge to possibly winning, like Ben Shelton has done, and now getting that direct entrance into the U.S. Open. And if he turns pro, some pretty big bucks already. No, that's huge. Peyton Stearns, Ben Shelton, guaranteed what sixty thousand dollars just for showing up yep. to the U.S. Open first round. So. I mean, college tennis, great pathway. Not everybody has to do it, but certainly produces some incredible talent on tour. And we're going to see it tonight, of course, when Ben Shelton takes on John Isner, the proud Georgia Bulldog. Friday's schedule here on Tennis Channel. We start bright and early once again, 5 a.m. Eastern from Kitzbühel, Prague, and Warsaw. All leading up to TC Live, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, a little later tomorrow, 8 p.m. night session in Atlanta and encore coverage all night long. We've got live tennis momentarily. Don't go anywhere. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tracy, Jimmy, Steve, back with you on TC Live. Five minutes away from walkouts in Atlanta. This was a couple of days ago. Ben Shelton making his ATP tour level debut. Got the wild card in Atlanta, Tracy, taking on Ram Kumar Ramanathan. Yeah, and he got the break in the opening game. He started out like a house on fire. Ben Shelton has an all-court game already. And watch his versatility at the net. Doesn't matter where on the court he is, he's feeling pretty comfortable. It's his serve from Ben Shelton. It's so impressive. Watch this on the full stretch. That's what you look for is how is a player out of the corners? Are they able to be offensive? Are they able to have that great transition game? Buries that overhead. He's got firepower, no problem. What a huge first win in straight sets. 
flexing on him. Big Ben Shelton gets his first ATP Tour main draw win. He'll look to make the quarterfinals later tonight as we take a look at our order of play. We got the all Aussie matchup first. Alex Dimonor, James Duckworth, and then tennis's version of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Florida, Georgia, Ben Shelton, John Isner, Gators, dogs. Cannot wait for this going on tonight in Atlanta. Let's talk a little bit more about the late match and start with, with Ben Shelton, Tracy, and what makes him so good. Obviously, he's got 10 aces now yes. on tour. That, that's one match. Uh, John Isner has 13,000-plus. He's the most on tour. But what do you like about that lefty serve? Well, lefty, first of yeah. all. I mean, that's just a huge asset because there are not as many lefties. And so the, the spin that's coming at you, whether it's the slice that's sliding away from your two-hander, if you're John Isner, or the kick that you're used to uh, spinning a certain way, all of a sudden it's going the opposite direction. The kick from Ben Shelton, Jimmy. I mean, Ramanathan was standing so far back, and it was still going up above his shoulders. It was absolutely spectacular. At 19, to have that much kick already... I was impressed with his net play. I mean, sometimes you see kids that are that young, they, they look a little uncomfortable in, in the forecourt of where to stand. He was very good, great on the run. I, I, I think he's got a pretty – Brian, his dad, won two titles on the tour. That's a 55 he, in the world. That's, that's, a, that's a good coach to have. Great coach, and I think, I think it's unfair when you're a lefty with a good serve because every big point is the ad court. And that's where the lefty has the most effective serve, where they can throw the slider out wide, get you to the backhand outside the doubles line, and the whole court to hit to. And that's where all the break points happen, unless it's 15-40. So that's why they shouldn't be allowed to play. But they are. <laughs> and, wow. That's a big statement. I'm, I'm obviously being facetious, but he has also, as Tracy said, the nasty kick, lefty kick. And what's weird about that, you don't face it very often. Because many lefties don't hit that particularly well. They're growing up always thrown in the slider. And the kicker, when it hits your racket, it, I'm telling you, it goes further out into the right than you would ex expect when you're playing someone that really kicks a lefty kick. I think because a righty, you're used to it, you face so many. Lefty, you don't. And he's got a bright future. He has a live arm. You can see his forehand. He can really cook the forehand as well. When I saw him play... He made a lot of unforced errors in bunches. He can't do that today against Isner if he wants to win. He cannot have a two-double fault, two-missed forehand game, which occasionally he still does. So that's why I went from Ben Shelton wins for sure <laughs> sitting on the fence. An hour later, you're still sitting on the and fence. And I'm, I'm sitting on the fence till I see a little bit more. But I do think he has a realistic shot of winning. He has okay. a style of game that Isner's not going to enjoy. He's not going to be able to break Shelton unless Shelton breaks himself. There's a lot to be excited about with Ben Shelton. We've been hyping him up. But John Isner has to be the favorite, Tracy, in this match. He owns this event. He has won it a record six times. Take a look at what he's done here. 36-5 and all-time. Most wins at any event. And of his 13,000 million aces, 13,000 million. <laughs> 848 have come here. <laughs> yeah. I, I, anytime you win an event one time and then you walk back in, you feel a comfort level. You feel a confidence. But when you have won it six times, I've never done that. I, it, he must just feel tremendous belief. And then we've been noticing all week that the courts in Atlanta have this huge hop. 
And so that serve from John Isner, you cannot replicate. You cannot practice. Ben Shelton today is not going to be able to practice his returns of what he's going to see. You have to have your coach stand on a chair because the trajectory of John Isner's serve is what's so difficult because it'll get out of your strike zone. So if John's serving well and he's look, you know, he's fresh, um, he's going to look for that forehand. He's he's what Shelton needs to do is try to get Isner moving as much as possible. That's a tall order. The tall com- order. Did you hear that one? Yeah, that is a tall order. Play <laughs> tall. Good job. Um, the combination in Atlanta, it's actually people don't realize it, but it's a little bit of altitude. And the players feel it. It's 750 little, feet. Yes, it's not much, but it's enough where the air is fast. And then the court, they always have it bouncy. So that combination in Isner serve, you win it six times because no one can return your serve. And when I said Ben Shelton was going to win, it was because it was going to be 7-6 in the third. That was, that's my score. Now he's giving us scores. I like this. Score. He's six getting off the fence. Six in the third. John's watching TC Live right now. I don't know about Hopefully Jimmy. Hopefully he's but. not. <laughs> See, this guy's won the event six times. How do you go against him? I don't know. Because it's first tournament ever. To, you know, I, I like it. Tracy I like says, it. John, I say Ben. All right. That's how it works. Uh, before that match, we, we've got a good one between Alex Demonor, James Duckworth, Aussie against Aussie. Demonor uh, comes into this match 11-2 against fellow, fellow Aussies on tour. 3-0 and this year. So what do you think, Trace? Well, I like Duckworth's game up to a certain level. I don't think he's going to beat guys in the top 30. He's very quick about the court. He's very consistent, but he just doesn't have enough firepower, I think, to bother Alex Dimonor, who actually is a former champion here. I believe when he won it, beating Taylor Fritz, he never got broken. So he's going to have those, those comfortable feelings as well. Tracy is right. He never got broken at the year he won this title. He return serve very well. Duckworth needs free points on his serve. I don't think he'll get enough free points on his serve in this match. And I think Demonar, we talked a little bit one of these days about countrymen playing countrymen. You feel yeah. extra pressure. I think Demonar is so mentally strong. I think had Demonar gotten through Christian Garin at Wimbledon, he would have beaten Nick Kyrgios because of that countrymen versus huh. countrymen. That's who he would have played next. It's not a bad call. I, I, I actually tend to agree with you, Jimmy, there. And Alex Demonor, 2019, the year that he won this title in Atlanta. James Duckworth, before July, he hadn't won a match. He was 0 for 8 at the tour level. Then he makes the quarterfinals in Newport. Now an opportunity to make his second straight quarterfinal. So playing with a little bit of confidence as well. He is, but Tracy and I both feel like well, I'm not sitting on the fence on this one. Okay. Demonor. All in yeah. on Alex Demonor. Yeah. Yeah. Demonor is he's not a big guy, but he is so speedy and he has got great racket head speed. He's got great accuracy. Um, he's got some good pop on his serve for a guy who's, who's not huge. He's got excellent, excellent technique, which helps him so much. All right. We got two great matches coming up tonight. Is it you tonight? You calling the matches? It is me. Okay. <laughs> Jimmy's going to join Brett Haver tonight. Call the matches. Yeah. I'll be listening. Okay. I will be watching. I will be at home, and I will be texting you when, when you when maybe go back yeah, on yeah. what you said earlier I'll go on back the show. Many times. Don't you worry. <laughs> Alex Demonor, James Duckworth, live from Atlanta. Next, then it is John Isner and Ben Shelton. For Tracy Austin, Jimmy Arias, our entire team, I'm Steve Weissman. Thanks so much for hanging with us this past hour on TC Live. Enjoy the night session from Atlanta after a quick break.